You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Can the New Orleans Pelicans play the Trailblazers every night? Welcome into Crunch Time here on a Tuesday. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can check us out on our simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fibers. We are broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company specializing in new multifamily construction. The New Orleans Pelicans picking up their fifth straight win last night, taking down Portland 124-90. to Behind 29 points from Brandon Ingram in a contest that was never really close. The Pelicans led by 20 at the end of the first quarter, and then they held a 23-point lead at the halftime break. And then from there, it was all over but the crimes. Pelicans win by 34 they now sit at 38 and 37 on the season. They win the regular season series with the Trailblazers 3 to 1. And they will now travel to San Francisco to play the Golden State Warriors in a game that the Pelicans desperately need a W in. My producer and co-host is Mr. James Mesh. James, happy Tuesday to you, sir. Actually, better yet. Happy 328 day to you, sir. Oh, we love a good Falcons joke. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Um, anytime the Falcons look bad, uh, us, us Saints fans love it. It's a good reference going back to it. I mean, that was probably one of the better years. It was one of the, it was, that's a, that's easily a top three Super Bowl for me. It, it might be number two. And of course, we're we're referring to to Super Bowl Fifty One when the Atlanta Falcons led twenty eight to three with two minutes left to go in the third quarter, and Tom Brady pulls off the largest comeback in Super Bowl history, and they win thirty four to twenty eight in overtime. Oh man, what were you, I'm I'm curious. What were you thinking when you when you saw that? Like before, before the Patriots even got their first touchdown, you're looking at it. Um, who was the guy? I forget what the Falcons' corner had a pick six. Malcolm Butler. Mal- no, no, it wasn't Malcolm. Never That's mind. the Patriots. That, that that was the Patriots Super Bowl. Um, I don't, I don't remember. I forgot his name. But I'll tell you exactly what I was thinking. When it was twenty-eight to three in the third quarter, I remember my wife looking at me. And she said, I'm going to bed. This game's over. (laughs) And I said, never count out Tom Brady. Tom Brady. As much as I have never liked him, because I've never liked Tom Brady. You love him. I don't. I really don't. You respect the hell hell out of him. Absolutely. He's the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. I'll admit it. He is. So I said, you can't count him out. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm not turning this game off because something wild is going to happen. 
And sure enough, I was right. I tend to be right on these things mm-hmm. every now and again. It's rare. It's rare. Blind horse finds water every once yeah, in a while. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But man, when I when, when I hit the nail on the head, it is it's typically juicy. Because because I because I I like Tom Brady as opposed to you. Yeah. So you're a Boston sports guy. Yeah, I do like Boston sports. I don't care for the Red Sox though. As 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 you shouldn't, but go on. Like all the other three, I'm cool with. Bruins, I mean, I don't think I have necessarily an NHL team, but if I had to pick one, it would probably be the Bruins. But I have not officially solidified my fandom to any one NHL team just yet. So I'm still in free agency for that. But no, I I like the Patriots. I'm cool with them. That's kind of how I picked it, was pick an NFC team, an AFC team from opposite conferences. That way they can meet in the ultimate game. Saints easily for the NFC and then Patriots for AFC, and obviously I like the Celtics. So when I saw it, it was twenty-one to three at halftime. I was like, "Ooh, no bueno!" Especially with a pick six. I don't think I had ever seen Tom Brady throw a pick six to that point. So it happening in the Super Bowl, I was like, oh no! And then they go up twenty-eight to three, and I was like, "Okay, look, not looking great." First touchdown didn't happen until near the end of the third quarter. But you never know. They might still be able to cook. I mean, if Atlanta scores one more time, then you can call it at that point, especially with how much time is left in the game. And they didn't but they score did it. again. It was crazy if you look at the plays called between the two teams. Right. Because Atlanta had 46 and the Patriots had 92. Mm-hmm. Like... Uh, is it, it's it's in that range. the The Falcons had forty something plays, and the Patriots either had ninety or they were close to ninety, because of how like it was quick possessions. Atlanta, because they were still passing the ball, they were starting to do three and outs. They had short drives. Correct. They had an opportunity to kick a field goal to pretty much seal it in the third quarter, and Matt Ryan got sacked and took him out of field goal range. It was like. This is setting up for some juicy stuff. This is going to get real interesting. Yeah, you know, it, it, that was that was one of the better Super Bowls. I mean, Julian Edelman was fantastic. That catch. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Did, when you watched it the first time, did you think it was a drop or a catch? Live action, I thought it was a drop. Mm-hmm. First replay I saw. You were like, oh, That's okay, catch. never mind. That's catch. Because I watched it because I was standing up at that point. I'm like, oh, no. And then I... I see him catch it. I'm like, oh, that's a catch. That's a catch. That's a catch. Call it, call it, call it. Hurry up. Go, go, go. And my dad was like, that's not a catch. What are you talking about? That hit the ground. I'm like, no, no, no. Wait for this replay. Wait for this replay. Zoom in. That's like times 500. Yep. And it's like, oh, it was three inches off the ground. If that. It's like, right. Yeah, no, it was it, it was a great catch. And then obviously the, the touchdown in overtime, I mean, James White was just. James White was a monster that game. He was he was huge for, for New England. Um, but again, you know the the point here is that anytime you can bash Atlanta, you're going to go for it. You're going to. If you so, see someone on Twitter that's a Falcons fan, unfollow them. I don't know why you're following to begin with. Correct. But un- un- unfollow them immediately. And immediately. Then, and then just reply to any tweet that they reply to. And just. I remember one time. I remember one time I I'd, I'd seen a guy. I don't remember where I was. Um, I was in Tennessee for something, and I'd kind of come friends with this dude. Like, we, like we were talking and, and whatever. 
and we get on the topic of football, and he was like, who's your favorite team? And I said, the Saints. And he looks at me, and he goes, I'm a Falcons fan. Sorry, bud. Then, then we can't be friends. <laughs> Let's just stop. Oh, no, 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 no. Let's here's... just stop talking to each other right now. Oh, no, 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 no. I, here's how I see it. You could very easily be friends. I could still be friends with a 49ers fan. Because I, I I despise the 49ers with a passion. They're they're pretty much on the same level for me as the Falcons. I despise them more than the Bucks and the Panthers. I could still be friends with somebody of whatever team. However, it is free range at that point. You are getting clowned. You are one million percent getting clowned. Yeah, but we can still be friends. But you are getting clowned. See, you 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 and I are different. I would just can't be friends. Cannot, cannot do it. Because um, we we have that mutual interest in football. It's just the teams that we like are bitter rivals. So, looking at the going back to the Pelicans getting their fifth straight win, Brandon Ingram had another big night, twenty nine points on twelve of nineteen shooting. Uh, he also had six rebounds and four assists. But can we talk about just how much of a monster Jonas Jonas has been on this on this five game stretch? Jonas has been huge. My man almost had an Angel Reese type of night. Huge, ten points, twenty one rebounds. The only blemish with Jonas's play last night five turnovers was the fact that he turned the ball over five times, yep. which led to New Orleans's sixteen compared to. Portland's 12, but you're not really worried about that because Jonas almost had as many rebounds as the Trailblazers did. He had 21 in total. The Blazers had 29, and that led to New Orleans out-rebounding the Trailblazers by 24. And look, for for, for a team that doesn't shoot the three-pointer well, their last two games, shoot all right. Not too bad. 43% last night. 12 of 28 from downtown. That's solid. That's what you ask for. In my opinion, as a team, I want to see you be 35% plus Mm -hmm. from downtown. As a a team, that's what you would look for. That's that range. 43, pretty solid in my opinion. That's a good night. Um, You shot 57% from the field. That's fantastic. And that's, that's Trey Murphy... Having a CJ McCollum bad night. Correct. He, he went was one, one of seven from downtown. One of seven. Whereas before he had made 10 threes the other night. Correct. Um, so that means that he's due for a big night tonight against Golden State. But that's that's also a lot of guys coming off the bench who had efficient shooting nights. Correct. Because Kyra Lewis shot two for two. Mm-hmm. Josh Richardson was four of five. But two for three Garrett, from downtown. Garrett Temple was two of two. Hernan Gomez was two for three. Like you, you had really efficient shooting from some guys. You had, you had CJ, you had Trey who had the off night shooting the three. But everyone else was pretty efficient, and th- mm-hmm. that's what led to you shooting forty three percent. Big win for the Pels once again, fifth straight. They will play the Golden State Warriors tonight in a game that again. The Pels really need to win. They're sitting at eighth right now, 13 games back of the lead. Golden State's at seven with 12 and a half back. So a, a win over the Warriors would be really big in the standings for New Orleans. Let's go to the game hotline now. Randy, happy Tuesday, sir. What's going on? 
uh, you know, so last night the Pelicans, they they only shot, I think, like 26 or 28 from the archway, which is where the data puts them winning. Uh, if you go back and you look at the data and the box scores, under 30, plus or minus two or three, they tend to do really well, score a lot of points. And they did last night. They, like you said, they shot 40-something percent. They only shot 26, 28, whatever. They were really good with it. But Saturday, now that was an amazing aberration. I don't know if you watched it. Um, started at 9.30, so it was late. I was at our favorite restaurant where you live broadcasted from before. That had enough beer. I don't remember it as clearly as I wish I did. But I can tell you this. Normally, if they're going to throw up 34 threes, which to me is four too many, but normally you're going to see a brick show. You're going to see brick after brick, you know. But, no, they were dropping bombs from the three-point line. They were raining buckets out of the sky. It was something like 60%, if I mm-hmm. remember right. Something 62%. ridiculous like that. Yeah, they shot 62% from downtown Saturday night. Yeah, they, they don't have Larry Bird. I don't know where that came from, but that was an amazing thing to see. You know, again, only 34 not what they did against the Lakers with their brick show, but, you know, I, I think that's a little high for them in a game. Uh, I, I'd like to see them focus in the paint more. They score more points that way, but 60%, you can't complain about that. You know what? Not throw up 50 of them. Right. But, you know, hey, that was an amazing thing to watch. It was a once-in-a-season thing. We'll probably not see it again, but wow. But then last night, that was Pelican's ball. Let Valanchunas control the paint, and 28 threes is enough. You don't need to shoot any more than that. And then uh, they, they busted a whole bunch of points. Yep. No, absolutely. It was, it was a great performance. I mean, anytime Jonas can, can get 20-plus rebounds, you're probably going to win the basketball game. Yeah, and you know what? If, and I know it's a big if, if Zion can make it back for the play-in tournament, or maybe they get seated a little higher, who knows, they can still make a deep run in this playoff. Um, Absolutely. I, I'm not talking championship or anything, but they can go far if they can get that big paint presence again, if Zion gets back in there and can actually play. Uh, that's what my fingers are crossed for right now. Otherwise, it's play in and out first round. But yep. I would love to see them go a little deeper. Yeah, no, absolutely, Randy. Appreciate the call, man. All right, thanks, guys. And, and he's, he's spot on. If Zion can find a way to be back, I, I really think this team could make a run. Now, the issue, the, the the other side of that is, could him coming back mess up the chemistry that they've created without him? There, There's two sides to that sword. And I don't necessarily look at it as, if you're the Pelicans, you have to stop your shooting of the three ball at 30 because you're not the greatest. I think it's more of the, what are your shots looking like? How are you setting it up with your offense? Because it's like, if you're setting up good shots, like how the Celtics are with their three ball and their offense, it's like, you're not going to want to cap them at a certain point. If you can set up good shots and get good looks, if they're just not falling one night, then they're just not falling. Yeah, I mean, that that's going to happen sometimes. Because um, that, that's just going to happen. But if your offense is setting up good three-point shots, then... Why would you pass up to try and drive in the paint and try and shoot a contested mid-range or try and get into the paint, draw a foul, and maybe get hit or have it get altered, yep. but you don't get the call? And then it's like, well, you had a wide-open three. Oh, 
sorry, we uh we already shot our 33 33s for the game. We uh we can't shoot anymore. Like you're not going to want to cap it. You don't want to cap any any sort of shooting. Like if you're just not shooting well at the at the time, then it's like you're just not shooting well. You just need to find a way to get better shots and just work on it during practice. Hopefully the the Pelicans can get number six tonight because again, if they can find a way to to trounce Golden State in in the standings, they could find themselves out of the play in tournament when it's all said and done. But we'll take a timeout here on Crunch Time. When we return, you'll hear more from Kim Mulkey's press conference over the weekend after their win over Miami to advance to the Final Four. And Shohei Otani's going to make how much money this year? We'll do that next. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. It's crawfish time in the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles is giving you the chance to win everything you need to throw the ultimate crawfish boil with the game's ultimate crawfish boil giveaway cooked up by St. Landry Lumber, Cody's Crawfish, and Iron Horse Sales and Service. Register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com to score a $500 Visa gift card, a boiling pot, a burner, a paddle, ice chest, tumblers and chairs, and two giant sacks of live crawfish. Plus, we'll even throw in a pair of Astros tickets. Enter now for the Ultimate Crawfish Boil giveaway cooked up by St. Landry Lumber, Cody's Crawfish, Iron Horse Sales and Service, and the game. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back on Crunch Time 423 here on your Tuesday. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, hit us up on The Game Hotline 337-706-0111. Zero one one one. Yesterday we talked about LSU women's basketball heading to the Final Four. They left for Dallas about an hour ago uh, for, from LSU's campus at the PMAC. Uh, great send off. I, I saw a couple of videos. They had a huge crowd there. Uh, Kim Mulkey even hit a gritty on the stage, um, which you know is just fun. Uh, but Kim Mulkey had a very long press conference after. They took down Miami the other night. We played you most of it yesterday. Today, we're going to play you a little bit more of it. Kim Mulkey talks about, you know, not only what it means for her to bring LSU to the Final Four, but what it means for her to now do this in her home state just 30 minutes down the road from where she grew up. Uh, what would it mean for me personally? Um, I just like to win. Um, I didn't go to LSU. I went to Louisiana Tech in the early 80s. It was the dominant women's program. <clears throat> Broke my parents' heart because they could have driven 40 minutes to see me play. I, they had to drive four and a half hours to see me. But they knew I just wanted to win. And I had seen from a distance the Simone Augustus days, the Sylvia Fowles. Hell, I had to play against them in the Final Four in 2005 when I was at Baylor. And they were so good. And so at this last juncture of my career, I felt 
the love, I felt the value, I felt the appreciation that if you will just come home, that's a positive in itself. And I did. I didn't put parameters on the team. I didn't say anything except at the press conferences, I want to put a championship banner up there someday. Now we get to put another Final Four. Looking at LSU's road to the Final Four, took down Hawaii, you took down Michigan, you took down Utah, and then you took down Miami. And now you're going to play a really, really good Virginia Tech team. Um, and one, one thing that stands out about their season is everybody talked about their non-conference schedule. Everybody talked about how you got to play somebody with a pulse. But Kim Mulkey thinks that the non-conference schedule that they played actually helped them better prepare for the big moments. Say, I love this woman's personality, man. She laughs with us. She cries with us. But she's tough as nails and doesn't ask us to do anything that she wouldn't do for us. And um, it's been a great year. I mean, to this point, we've lost two basketball games. And that great non-conference schedule I played wasn't so bad after all, was it? <laughs> Golly. I mean, she's she's got a point. You only lost two basketball games. And sure, you didn't play anybody in the non-conference, but you played some tough teams when you got into SEC play. Tennessee, Arkansas. South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama even. You, you, you played some tough contests in, in the SEC, and up until the SEC tournament, the only team you lost to was South Carolina, who, by the way, is going into the Final Four undefeated. Just to, to throw that out there. Um, but Kim Mulkey also talked about how, you know, we, we, we talked yesterday about things happening so quickly at LSU in just her second year, she reiterated the fact that just making it to the Final Four is hard to accomplish and that this team's going to enjoy where they're at. South Carolina, I've said it from day one, is an unbelievable team and should win it all. But I'd sure love to be in that championship with them. Then y'all could ride 100%, right? Two SEC <laughs> teams, right? But we're going to enjoy this. So, it, it, that's what you play for, to get to Final Fours, to win championships. Do you know how many coaches, do a little research, how many coaches coached 25, 30, even 40 years and never, ever made a Final Four and never won a championship? It's so hard to do. LSU will play Virginia Tech Friday evening at 6 o'clock, and our very own Raymond Parsh III will be in attendance at American Airlines Center uh, thanks to Bailey's Cigar Room in Lafayette. So we'll have updates from the tournament throughout the weekend on our social media channels and much more. Uh, Kim Mulkey's crew going to the first Final Four since 2008, and it is just the sixth Final Four appearance for LSU women's basketball before the break, I, I mentioned, I hinted at Shohei Otani's 
contract. And this might be one of the largest contract numbers, James, I've ever seen. So we gawked at Patrick Mahomes making over $5,000 an hour. I think that was the, the number when you when you looked at his, his breakdown. Shohei Otani has signed a one-year, $30 million contract extension to avoid salary arbitration. So now, according to an annual list published by Forbes, Shohei Otani, this, and this is including his endorsement deals, Shohei Otani is expected to make an MLB record $65 million in 2023, making him the highest paid player in the sport behind Max Scherzer at 59.3 and then Aaron Judge sits in the third spot at 44 and a half. James, $65 million. What? And I know that's including endorsements, but st- oh my God. Can't act like he doesn't deserve it, though. I mean, I'm not saying that he doesn't, but... <laughs> I mean, it is a big wad of change. That is a lot of money. That's $5 million a month. That's a million dollars a week. That is around $150,000 per day. That is absolutely wild to think about. So, hey... Good, good for Shohei Otani. I mean, $65 million. That is insane. What a legend. And then his teammate, Mike Trout, sits fifth on the list at $39.5 million. Two-way players, man. They're, they're something special. Angels still can't do anything. And the Angels still will never win. Still can't win. <laughs> they, they still won't win. Because all of their money is tied into Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. So everybody else is just kind of, eh. Who else she got on the Angels? Some dudes. Bodies. <laughs> um, janitorial workers. Guys, guy, guys we just kind of put in uniforms. Corpses. <laughs> oh my god. We'll take a time out here on Crunch Time. We'll talk Raging Cajuns next here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Grand slams, no-hitters, and double plays are back, and there's no better place to get in on the MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. That's because right now new customers can step up to the plate with a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. You just got to go to FanDuel.com slash KLWB and sign up, place your first bet, and get up to $1,000 back at bonus bets if you don't win. I'm going to be taking the Astros to win the AL West, Christian Javier to have over 199 and a half strikeouts, and then I'll, I'll take Aaron Judge to be the home run leader once again. So don't miss your shot at a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. You just got to go to FanDuel.com KLWB to sign up. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. You must be 21 and older and present in Louisiana and permitted parishes only. First online real money wager only, $10 deposit is required. 
Refund issued is non drawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com sportsbook. And if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-877-770-STOP. This is Crunch Time, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 437, welcome back to Crunch Time, broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, give us a call on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. Breaking news from the Houston Astros. Corey Lee has not made the opening day roster which is a surprising move because many thought that he would be the backup catcher to Martin Maldonado. Um, Corey Lee, J.J. Matajevic, Brandon Belak, and Bly Madris have been optioned. Machado, Deirdrin, Davis, and Buttry have been reassigned, and Deirdrin will start the season in Triple A. So it looks like Cesar Salazar and Jeanier Diaz will be the two backup catchers to Martin Maldonado. But the thing that's interesting about Jeanier Diaz, James, so he can play catcher, right? He can play first base. He's got a stick so he can play designated hitter. But then he can also play in the outfield. So the question kind of becomes, where can he play? Because, you know, you you look at catcher, you look at first base. Obviously, second base and third base have different skill sets. So you're probably going to rule those out. Shortstop, you can probably rule that out as well. So other than the left side of the infield and pitcher, Jeanier Diaz can play anywhere. And that's going to be huge for the Astros to have that flexibility to kind of plug and play and move guys around, especially when... You know, Jordan Alvarez might need a day where he just plays DH instead of goes to left field or, you know, the other way around, however you want to look at it. And then if anyone else gets injured, Kyle Tucker, Chaz McCormick, I mean, you can just really plug and play Jeanier Diaz. And the fact that he's only 24 years old is also really big. <laughs> Miles Straw, who? Of course, if you don't get the joke, Jeanier Diaz was part of the return package when the Astros traded Miles Straw to Cleveland just a couple years ago. But looking at the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns coming off of their first series win over South Alabama in seven seasons, uh, head coach Matt Deggs talked about how his team is finding ways to create opportunities in more ways than just getting base hits. You're finally starting to see the fruits of all the work that Coach Wells and Coach uh, LaFleur and the boys have put in since August, really, of us addressing our on-base percentage and the ability to draw walks, get hit by pitches, reach base in different ways besides an actual base hit. Uh, We've forced a ton of errors at this point already because of our speed. I think we've made 22. Our opponents have made 42. 
Uh, we've gone from being minus 36 at this time last year in freebies to plus 49. Uh, so a lot of that hard work's coming to fruition, and, and uh, we've addressed an area where we needed to get better, and we're doing it. I think there's 20-something walks over the weekend, or maybe just in the last two games. I don't know. 30? 40 in five games. So, uh, you know, that's tremendous. Ben Robichaux has been an incredible spark at the top of our order uh, without collecting hits. I mean, he's hitting 333, but his on base is like 550. Looking at the, the Cajuns, you know, you talked about South, getting a series win over South Alabama for the first time since 2016. It was also their first doubleheader sweep since 2019. The Cajuns scored 43 runs on the weekend, including 22 in just one game, that being the first game of the Saturday doubleheader. Coach Matt Deggs talked about how looking at the series, it was really good for the team to bounce back the way they did after a crushing loss on Friday night. You know, we can look at it as we dropped a five-run lead, but there was a lot of things that could be done differently. I got Steli thrown out on a triple, uh, and they overthrow third. Uh, also, I called the last pitch that they hit the double off of, and uh, we could have had the, in, the outfield deeper there, but I wanted them in. I didn't want anything falling in front of us. So there was a lot of ifs and buts in that Friday game, but our guys showed really who they are. Uh, on Saturday to come back after such a crushing defeat. It really was. Uh, and not have any residual effects and take care of business uh, handily in game one and uh, just find a way to gut through it in game two. And, and uh, fortunately, we were able to score a lot of runs. Thought Jackson Nezu on Saturday was just what the doctor ordered. And uh, that two spots extremely important because either you're trying to win a series or, or get back into it. And uh, that's what we happen to be doing on Saturday. And uh, he, he won with a really good fastball again, able to locate it to both sides early and then pretty much just pound him in uh, for the remainder of his outing. Looking at the week ahead, they've got a three-game series at home against App State but no midweek games. And Matt Deggs has talked about how he's a guy that if it was up to him, his team would play every day of the week. Uh, but right now, the, the week off is necessary. Yeah, it stinks, but it's necessary probably right now. Uh, not having a minor league you know, organization or you know, uh, structure to draw from which you would probably need to in a couple of spots where we're at. Uh, we've got to get some guys feeling good and, and right. Scary moment with Debo, but I think he's good. Uh, you know, and then just a few hitters with some nagging stuff. You got CJ with the back, which I thought he played great, uh, but he had been injected earlier in the week, and then he gets hit by a pitch, believe it or not, right in the injection spot. It was a breaking ball, but still uh, – Zambo's wrists are getting better. Uh, and then, you know, hopefully McGeehee will see him throw at some point this week and uh, one more week closer getting Toit back at some point. So we could have used Toit this weekend for sure. Uh, they're a little bit deficient against lefties, and, and uh, I think that's another reason you saw Toit have some of the success – or uh, Tate have some of the success that he had. Looking at Cajun's softball, they're going to head to – Harrisonburg, Virginia this weekend to play a three-game set with James Madison. 
Now, this was the big draw for softball whenever the four new schools came in. James Madison was in the Women's College World Series just two years ago and has really just skyrocketed as a softball program. So they're going to probably be one of the toughest pieces of competition for the Raging Cajuns in the Sun Belt. And head coach Jerry Glasgow talked about the weekend ahead at JMU. Well, I think it's going to be a really good series. They, they've won six games in a row. So other than Marshall, um, who's won like 14 in a row, they're the second hard, hottest team in the conference. Um, so I, I do think they're playing their best ball of the season right now. And then getting to go up there, it's going to be a brand-new stadium to us. I think the crowd, I think the, the James Madison crowd will be great and excited about hosting the Raging Cajuns. And I think they're going to look at it as a big, you know, big-time matchup. Um, so I think we're going to walk into an atmosphere that will be somewhat like a playoff game. And so I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm not trying to – downplay it at all I think that our kids better get hyped up because I think James Madison will be hyped up and I think the energy is going to be really good this weekend and I think it's going to be a hard-fought series he also talked about the thoughts on this week being off for softball as well between their two series considering they lost game three coach Glasgow said that if it was up to him they would have gotten back out on the field immediately to put the loss behind them yeah, anytime we lose, I want to get right back on the field. I hate uh, having a loss and having to live with it. It is it's really hard for me personally. So I, I wish we had a midweek, but we don't. So we'll just uh, go to war and practice and try to figure out, you know, our best lineup for the weekend and and uh, get ready for James Madison. I, I, we got a lot of question marks on this team. We got a lot of depth. But we gotta we gotta lock it down a little bit and tighten it up and and there's question marks at key things like who who we you know who do we leave at shortstop if we lock it down to one thing uh, to one player who do we want that player to be um, that's a key question for us um, catcher we're lucky we've got Piscos catching really well and Valdez catching well but you know we we seem like always one of them. Are, banged up just goes with the position so I feel good about that position and we have the depth but I think the key for us right now is figuring out the um, the shortstop position is what the biggest challenge real quick just want to send a happy birthday shout out to the to the new Saints quarterback Derek Carr uh, not only is it 328 day but now it just makes it even sweeter for Saints fans that it's your quarterback's birthday um, so that's pretty cool Speaking of the NFC South, James, there's some groundbreaking news here that is just really going to rock the core of the NFC South forever. Yeah, Scotty Miller just signed with the Falcons. And you just stole every ounce of thunder that I had. <laughs> Why? Why? I saw the opportunity. Why do you do that? <laughs> you just took... Every I had this buildup going, and everything was going to be awesome. And you go, yeah, Scotty Miller's signing with the Falcons. Okay, okay. I'd I'd saw it about thirty seconds ago. Thanks, Meshy. While the while the uh, while Jerry was talking. Thanks, thanks, Meshy. Appreciate you. You're welcome, Miguel. This guy. I mean, what 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 am I? Can can somebody call in on the game hotline three three seven seven zero six zero one 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 and just give me an idea of what I can do with this guy? I mean, you you just you're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me. It happens. 
We'll take a timeout, wrap up hour number one right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The world-famous Harlem Globetrotters are returning to the Cajun Dome on Saturday, April 15th, and the game wants to help you score tickets to the show. Text GLOBE to 337-283-8100 for a family four-pack of tickets. That's GLOBE to 337-283-8100. So shoot a text to be amazed by the Globetrotters' famed ball-handling skills, dunks, and laugh-out-loud antics. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on it's Gordon. He'll look up. It's a goner. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Just got to do better, me guys. Just got to do better. Welcome back to Crunch Time as we're broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. Let's go look at that poll question of the day on Twitter and Facebook. Should the Saints draft a wide receiver in the first two rounds of the draft in 2023? Yes or no? At this point, you're bringing back Michael Thomas. You don't know about the injury concerns with him. You don't know how long he's going to play this year. You've got Chris Olave that you drafted with the first with one of your first round picks last year. You've got Rashid Shaheed, a really nice, valuable pick. You just signed Brian Edwards, Traquan Smith, even though not a lot of Saints fans are about that guy. He's still on the roster for another year. At this point, do you think it's that much of a priority that you would need to go in with the first or second round pick and go go get a receiver? You should if this mock draft that I have looked at earlier today turns into any sort of fruition. Like Jalen Hyatt? Try Jordan Addison. Jordan Addison falling to 29? Jesus. I mean, yeah, at that point, you just got to go get him. They've got Carolina taking Bryce Young. Houston going C.J. Stroud. Arizona goes Will Anderson. Indy's left with Will Levis. Seattle takes Hendon Hooker. What? At five. At five. When a lot of mock drafts have him in the third round. And, and this is a former NFL executive mm-hmm. that put this mock draft together. This guy. He said the only reason that Hooker has fallen into the late rounds is because he's being underscouted due to his torn ACL. But he, he said that he feels like he is a potential franchise quarterback and someone who can lead an offense. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, look, if Jordan Addison falls at 29, yeah, you go get him. Mm -hmm. But to me, you can go get a guy in the third or fourth round. No problem. I am a really big guy on AT Perry. He reminds me a lot of Marcus Colson. I've talked about it on our mock mock draft videos, which you should go look at our YouTube channel. Go check it out. Go subscribe. Go like. This guy loves himself some AT Perry. Dude, AT Perry, don't sleep on the kid. 6'5", over 200 pounds, big body receiver. He can catch the short and intermediate routes and break a couple tackles, and he's a really good route runner, but he can also go deep. He can also go deep and burn some guys. It's crazy what he can do at that size. But another guy that you could always go get is Cajuns are a little familiar with him. 
Michael you Jefferson. I w- well, I wasn't going to say that. I was going to say you played against him. Oh. Nathaniel Dell. Yeah. You could always go get him because even though Michael Thomas, you can throw him in the slot. If you were to go get like an A.T. Perry, you've already got Brian Edwards, who he's a big body receiver as well. So he's predominantly going to be more on the outside, which leads leaves a lot of limited options on the inside. So I, at that point, now that you got Brian Edwards, Nathaniel Dell could make some sense. Or I don't know how many people are feeling too great about this and kind of like the sour taste that he's left in LSU Tiger fans' mouths, but Kayshawn Booty. If you getting him in the third round, in the third round maybe, but that's what I'm he, saying. He's not going to fall uh, that far. If you can get if if he's there in the third round, he can play a lot in the slot. He'll be a second round pick. He's not going to fall that far. If he's if he's there in the third round, I think you could go get him. The only thing I the, think I think I think there is a world where if you're Mickey Loomis, you could go draft Kayshawn Booty in the third round. The only thing that bothers me about At Perry is that he drops a lot of passes. He had 17 drops in the last two seasons. That's a lot. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of... Because there's a difference between incomplete passes and drops. He had 17 drops. That's not great. He's also, looking at his tape, he's also not the fastest at change of direction. Um, which, well, you're not going to be the fastest... When you're six five, which which I don't necessarily love either, um, but look, I mean, if, if he can do half the things Marcus Colston did, I'm in for it. I'm in for it. Hour number one's in the books. Hour number two, we're going to kick it off with Joe Doyle, an MLB draft analyst. Right after this top of the hour sports update here on the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It's hour number two of Crunch Time here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh coming to you live from the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Give us a call on the game. Hotlines 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can check us out on our simulcast by going to Stadium 32.3 or Channel 133 if you're on LUS Fiber. In Hour number one, we talked about the Pelicans going on their five-game win streak with their big win over Portland last night. We also heard from Matt Deggs and Jerry Glasgow in hour number one, recapping their past week and looking ahead to a pair of big Sunbelt series for each team this weekend with the girls heading to Harrisonburg, Virginia to play three with James Madison and then Matt Deggs' squad staying home to play a set with App State this weekend. Here in hour number two, we're going to do To the Moon Tuesdays with Apollo Dez of Apollo HOU. 48 hours now or, or so away from the season opener for the World Series champion Houston Astros as they will host the Chicago White Sox at Minute Maid Park. 
But before we get to that, it's time to talk MLB draft. Because if you look at the Tigers, you look at the Cajuns, there are plenty of prospects for both teams. Whether you look at Dylan Cruz, arguably the top player in the draft. Paul Skeens, arguably the top pitcher in the draft. Maybe some guys that fly under the radar. You know, a Trey Morgan, a Jordan Thompson. Maybe even a Christian Little. And then for Louisiana, you know, Carson Rockefort and Julian Brock are really the two guys that, that stand out there for Matt Deggs' squad. Joe Doyle joins us here to kick off our number two. He is the director of MLB Draft Scouting for Prospects Live, and he is the host of the show Overslot. He will join us here to begin hour number two. I sat down with him earlier today, and we talked about Again, you know, the top prospects for both teams, their upsides to their game, where they could fit in at the next level, things of that nature. So Joe Doyle, the director of MLB Scouting for Prospects Live, joins us here to kick off hour number two right here on Crunch Time. Joe, I really appreciate you taking the time on this Tuesday afternoon. I really want to start with LSU, you know, the top-ranked team in the country under Head coach Jay Johnson, 21-3, and just got a huge conference win at home over Arkansas. Let's start with Dylan Cruz out, out, out in center field. Great player, uh, probably the best player in the country so far this season. Last year was a Golden Spike semifinalist. He's well on his way to, to repeating that this year, maybe even winning the, the Golden Spikes Award for just the second time in, in LSU history. What stands out about Dylan? You know, obviously his his offense is dynamic. His defense is solid as well. Is he still the top pick in the draft class in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I would go as far back as Dylan Cruz was one of the talks of the 2020 draft. I mean, you're talking about one of the more premier power-hitting high school outfielders in 2020, and, and with what happened with the shutdown and, and games being lost, uh, I don't think he really had a chance of, of surging as high in that draft as he probably could have. I mean, he's probably, probably looking at a middle of the first round, end of the first round type of high schooler in 2020. But he's been the best player in college baseball. Arguably, you know, it, he was in the conversation in 2021. Last year, he was one of the best players in the country. This year, he's, you know by far the best player in the country uh, in terms of statistics and impact on the field. Um, yeah, I, I mean, he has done nothing in three years to ever backtrack from his trajectory of being a top-five pick in this 2023 draft. And frankly, you know, Pittsburgh is on the clock with the number one pick. I think this is turning into one of those years where you just don't overthink it. You know, the MLB draft, it can always be a money game. It can always be, well, maybe we should save some money with this first pick and splurge a little bit on, you know, picks in the second round and get some high upside high schoolers that are usually tough to sign. I don't know if you can go that route this year because I think Dylan Cruz is certainly the best college hitter we have seen since Adley Rutschman. And I think there's a case to be made. Now, SEC play hasn't, you know, really gotten into full gear yet. But I think there's a case to be made that Dylan Cruz is the best college offensive prospect since Bryce Harper, going all the way back to, you know, what was that, 2010. So just a supreme talent, and it's, it's incredible that 
LSU has him and Paul Skeens on the same roster at the same time. Yeah, you know, looking at Cruz hitting 531 so far this season, you talked about how he could be the the best offensive prospect since Bryce Harper, which is just insane to hear out loud. You know, if you're Pittsburgh, obviously, you know, we talked about Dylan Cruz being the top guy, and you just mentioned Paul Skeens, the Air Force transfer, that ever since he got to Baton Rouge has just thrown nothing but strikes, nothing but heat, has an ERA under one. You know, what stands out about Skeen's game, and I've heard some people say that maybe he could overtake Dylan Cruz as the top prospect. So if you're Pittsburgh looking at their, their roster, does it make more sense for them to go Cruz or does it make more sense for them to go Skeen's? Well, I inherently think that if all things are equal, you take the position player. I mean, if it's a tie, uh, you take the position player because you know Dylan Cruz is going to play for you five days a week. He can play in center field. I, I think he probably moves to a corner at some point, um, but he can play center field for you. But here's the thing with Paul Skeens, man. Like what you said there at the beginning is is you hit the nail on the head. He has pounded the strike zone, and I think that was something that people were they wanted to see from him. You know, they want to see him dominate the zone with with two to three pitches and he's done that i mean he's i have never i I can't think of another guy that i have seen that can hold 97 through 100 pitches week over week over week and not sacrifice any command uh so in in that regard paul skeens is one of the most special college pitching prospects that i've seen in my time doing this and i came into the season thinking that tennessee's Chase Dolander was the more premium prospect. Um, the crazy thing, I think, with Paul Skeens that we haven't even seen yet is he has a changeup. I mean, he has an upper 80s changeup that he just simply hasn't had to use. And maybe he doesn't have as much feel for it as the slider, you know, curveball, breaking ball combo that he's got there. But, I mean, he can manipulate a breaking ball. So you might even call it four pitches, uh, slider, curveball, fastball right now. But there's a changeup in there that I think has a chance to really neutralize left-handed hitters. And we might see that as he gets into stiffer competition. I would imagine you're going to see a little bit more of it against Tennessee. But, yes, I mean, to answer your question, and, and I know superlatives can, can be a bit cliche, but I said Dylan Cruz might be the best hitter that we've seen since, since Bryce Harper. Paul Skeens might be the best college pitcher that we've seen since, you know, uh, sheesh, I, going back to Steven Strasburg, kind of in that similar time frame. Uh, I, I just don't think there's been anyone that can that can match what he's doing right now. Chatting with Joe Doyle here on, on Crunch Time, you know, it, it, it's a shame that, that Chase Dolander will most likely go on Saturday for the Vols because, man, if, if you could see a Skeens versus Dolander matchup this Friday, I mean, that would be primetime television, right? No, that would be one of the best college pitching line, like, you know, one-on-ones uh, of the last four or five years. And, yeah, it is definitely disappointing that we're probably not going to get those two guys. But um, you still do get Dylan Cruz against Chase Dolander, which in and of itself is a fantastic matchup. And some of the guys that Skeens uh, is going to see this weekend from uh, from Tennessee are big bats, too. So it's going to be a good test for both of them. And, uh, frankly, I think both of them are going to really rise to the occasion. I, th- I think it's going to be two pitchers' duels. Now, there's a couple of guys on LSU's roster that might be flying under the radar. They have upside in the MLB, 
but maybe not getting talked about a whole lot in draft circles, and that's guys like Trey Morgan at first base and Jordan Thompson at shortstop. What do you like about their games, and realistically, where where do you see them, you know, round wise getting drafted? Yeah, and you know what? I'll throw one more in there too. I think Ty Floyd is a sneaky prospect this year. I think I think he could kind of sneak into that top two rounds, top sixty-five. Uh, the fastball, the, the his pitch usage this year has been so much better than what it was last year, and I think he's kind of established himself as a as a pretty solid second-round pick. But to your point, Trey Morgan, uh, one of the most mature hitters I would say in the country, really stays inside the zone. Uh, sprays the ball all over the field. He's got some sneaky thump, but I don't think he's ever going to be a power hitter at the next level. Uh, he's he's a very weird profile as it pertains to big league first baseman because on one hand, he's an elite defender. The guy is going to be able to play first base better than most of his peers um, at the next level. He's been playing some left field this year just because they have so many corner infielders that need to get at bats, specifically Tommy White. But I do think he's ultimately going to play a little bit of first base at the next level. But it, it's, it's weird for a guy not to have a lot of power uh, and, and stick at that position moving forward. I, I think Trey Morgan is probably uh, a third or fourth rounder, kind of depending on what team wants to value the defense and, and the hit tool. Um, but ultimately, I think the profile fits a little bit better despite the elite depth, uh, defense. Uh, in a corner outfield spot moving forward. Jordan Thompson is the really interesting one for me. I think he does things from the shortstop position that just frankly not a lot of people can. He's got you know above average raw power. The guy can hit the ball out of the ballpark, and that in and of itself is a high-quality trait from a kid that's certainly going to play shortstop at the next level. Um, good footwork, good actions on the dirt, strong arm, uh, and he's got some range too, so... There's not, you know, usually you, you, usually you see college shortstops transition to one of second or third base or a corner outfield spot at the next level, and they're just shifted off by a more premium defender. That's not going to happen with Jordan Thompson. He's going to play shortstop, and he might have the ability to run into 18 or 20 home runs at the next level. I'm sure I'm still not entirely sold on the hit tool. I, I do think there's work to be done in that regard and the bat-to-ball skills, but I do think Jordan Thompson is going to be a kid that, you know, here's his name called probably in that fourth round range, and is is a bit of a sleeper in prospect circles. And then looking at the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, they're having a strong start to the year as well at 18 and 7, 25 games in. Uh, Julian Brock is is a catcher that you know has really come alive this season with 34 RBIs already. Was just named Sun Belt Player of the Week and one of the National Players of the Week by Collegiate Baseball. But the main prospect that stands out for the Cajuns this year is Carson Rockefeller at center field, uh, a guy that last year really dominated the plate, starting to come around now offensively in 2023. But his defense has always been his bread and butter. Last season played at first base. This season you, you've moved him out to center field, and he's really just made catch after catch after catch in center field. What do you like about Rockefeller? And, you know, I'll kind of pose the same question. Where do you see him landing in terms of a round perspective? Yeah, Rockefeller is a guy that came onto my radar probably a month ago. And to Louisiana's credit, maybe not, maybe credit isn't the word, but when you play a kid with his athletic skill at first base and in the corners, 
2022, you kind of hide him a little bit, right? you got to put way more pressure on the bat if you're playing a corner outfielder, you're playing first base. So he shifts to center field full-time this season. He's taking outstanding routes. He's showcasing a strong arm. Uh, his instincts out there, and his first step is, frankly, an, an entirely pleasant surprise for me. He looks like a guy that's going to play center field at the next level, and I don't say that lightly. That I mean, that's not a that's not a foregone conclusion for center fielders in college. Um, the bat, he really drops the barrel uh, to the baseball. Really good bat to ball skills. Plays. Uh, Line to line, gap to gap. He's got some pull side power. Um, yeah, I mean, he looks to me, and from talking to folks in the industry, he looks to me, if he can carry this through the end of the season, he looks to me like a third or a fourth rounder and a guy that could pen- potentially stick up the middle uh, as kind of a well-rounded, do-it-all type of uh, type of a profile. So I'm really excited for Carson uh, Rockefort. Wrapping up here with, with, with Joe Doyle, looking at either one of these teams, is there any other guy that, that really stands out or anybody from LSU or Louisiana that you know has the potential to get drafted this year? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll hit a little bit more on, on Julian Brock. That's a kid that I've, I've really kind of enjoyed watching grow over the last handful of years. He you know, I think he's got an outside shot of, of sticking behind the plate or playing behind the plate. Uh, moving forward, and the power has really uh, come on. But the biggest thing for me that sticks out with Julian is the dude has more walks than he has strikeouts, and that's going to be something that immediately scouts are drawn to. Um, so, you know, that, that sort of mature approach and, and some defensive ability behind the plate uh, makes for a potential interesting day-two prospect. The other guy is Christian Little uh, at LSU. You know, interesting career arc at this point. One of the top high school pitchers in the country in 2021 um, decides to pull his name from the draft, go to Vanderbilt. Things go okay, uh, but moves to LSU and uh, kind of working in a midweek slash bullpen multi-inning role. The stuff is really ticked up under Wes Johnson. And um, while it's still not the most polished profile, and I think people are still in between whether or not he's going to be a starter or a reliever at the next level, I do think you're talking about another arm at LSU that could hear his name called in that three to five range area. So uh, LSU is an embarrassment of riches, and you know you you bring me back on this show a year from now, and it's going to be a lot of the same. It's just uh, dude after dude after dude uh, in Baton Rouge right now. Joe Doyle joining us uh, covers the MLB draft. Joe, really appreciate your time. Great insight into both the Tigers and the Raging Cajuns. And as the draft gets a little bit closer here in a few months, we'll uh, we'll chop it up again. Sounds good, man. I appreciate you having me on. And there he goes, Joe Doyle. He is a MLB draft director for Prospects Live. We'll take a timeout here on Crunch Time, and when we return at five twenty, we'll do some LSU conversation. We'll talk more about the Final Four for the women's side. We'll also look at their baseball game tonight with Grambling. Right here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you want to see the defending World Series champs in person, then you're in luck because the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with our very first Astros weekend getaway of the season. 
Houston takes on the Texas Rangers on Saturday, April 15th, and you can be there. Register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian Houston downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Hello. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 523. Welcome back here to Crunch Time on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Hit us up on the game hotline 337-706-0111. Let's talk some LSU baseball as they're getting ready to take on Grambling at 630 tonight. LSU coming into this game with a record of 21-3. and Dylan Cruz recently named the SEC Co-Player of the Week. LSU leads the all-time series with Grambling, 11-0, with all 11 matchups taking place at the box. The last they played was last year on April 5th when LSU defeated Grambling 16-3 in seven innings. Will it be more of the same? Tonight, probably. A quote from Jay Johnson about this series, you don't just win in college baseball. The game is not designed that way. Grambling has an athletic team. They play aggressively, and this is one of the more important games on their schedule. They swept their conference series versus Alcorn State last weekend, and I know our players will be ready for the challenge. We got a little bit of a breather with a day off Sunday, allowing us to practice and prepare Monday for the game. Dylan Cruz is leading this program, and he actually leads the nation right now, James, in three different categories. He leads the nation in batting average, hitting 531. He leads the nation in on-base percentage at 658. And he leads the nation in how many times he's touched home plate. 46 runs scored in 24 games. He's number two in the nation in slugging percentage at 988. Tommy White leads the nation in RBIs per game with two. And then Paul Skeens leads the nation in strikeouts with 71 and then hits allowed per nine innings at 3.38. I say all that to drive home the point that LSU baseball is on a completely different stratosphere so far in 2023. Normally, for an LSU group, I would say it's a trip to Omaha or bust. For this group, I'm starting to think that it's a spot in the championship series or bust. Because, look, I I know you haven't gotten deep into the heart of SEC play, but it's not like you played a ton of scrubs in in non-conference. I mean, you had your series against Sanford and Butler and Central Connecticut State, but, man, you went to that trip in Round Rock, and and you played some really good teams in Round Rock. You played Sam Houston. You played Iowa. Iowa beat you 
You played Kansas State. You've gotten a win over Texas. You know, you, you opened, you, you played UNO. You opened SEC play with Texas A&M. You took two out of three against Arkansas. LSU is winning every game that they're supposed to win, and then some. So Jay Johnson's got this team firing on the right cylinder. And James, again, I hate to use the term, you know, finals or bust, but I'm starting to feel like it might be that way with this team. I mean, with how nuclear the offense is and the fact that you've got such a good pitching rotation, yeah, I would say if you don't at least make it to the final game, to the final series for it all, yeah. I would consider that a bust. Cause you're with how you are, with how good you are, looking at your record, looking at who you played so far, you're not super deep into SEC play. But even then, we watch Tommy White, Dylan Cruz, they're still doing their thing, even though they're in SEC play. They're still hitting grandies. They're still hitting three run homers. They're still going above five hundred, getting on base. At this like the way they play so far, if they keep this projection going, which it doesn't feel like they necessarily will, but even if they take a little bit of a step back, you still feel like if they can get them getting to Omaha and playing in the final series for the championship, that's still expected. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, you, they play Grambling tomorrow, then they've got the three games set with Tennessee this weekend um, on Thursday, Friday, and, and then wrapping it up on Saturday. And then you've got Nichols at home. And then you go on the road again. You're going to go to South Carolina and play a three-game set against the Gamecocks, which should be a good series leading into Easter weekend. And then you stop in New Orleans and play Tulane. And look, Tulane's typically a very good baseball program. They are struggling mightily this season. So that's a game you can capitalize on. Then you've got Kentucky and UL Look, things are setting up for LSU to where they could make some serious noise down the backstretch into April and early May. So if you're Jay Johnson, the if, if I'm Jay Johnson, the message is kind of simple. Just keep doing what you're doing. You know, everybody looks at the the loss to Alabama the loss to Arkansas on Friday night. Oh, pitching let you down. Look, you, your relief guys aren't always going to be perfect. There's going to be moments where you you know you give up a three-run homer or whatever. That's going to happen. It's not just the pitcher's fault because for 9 innings this nuclear offense only produced one run in that game. So it's not just the the relief pitching's fault. The offense has to be able to produce two. Um and, and you saw it come around and produce on the back half of the weekend, scoring 26 runs on Saturday. But in a 56-60 to 60 game season, you're going to have games where things just don't go your way. You can't let that bring you off of what you're doing and the plan that you have for the season. So if I'm Jay Johnson, you just keep doing what you're doing. Let Paul Skeens, Thatcher Hurd, and Ty Floyd really just own their spots. Dylan Cruz, Tommy White, Jordan Thompson... And, and Trey Morgan really just pound the the starting lineup. And the, the sky's the limit for this team. So 
Once again, playing Grambling tonight at 6.30. Pre-game begins here at 6, and you can catch it on the game. We'll take a timeout here. Apollo Dez from Apollo HOU joins us next. One more to the moon before the season gets underway right here on the game. Fly me to the moon. That's driven deep to left center field. Garner is going back. Looking up. See you later. See you later. See you later. Astros headed back to the World Series. Minkas and Nash are ready to launch into all things Houston Astros. Here is to the moon on Crunch Time with Minkas and Nash. Apollo Dez of Apollo HOU joins us here for To the Moon. Dez, what's going on, bud? How are you? I'm good, brother. How are you? Oh, man. Baseball starts this week. I'm fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's about time. It's a short off season for us, you know, going into November and winning World Series, but uh, I'm glad it's back. So the opening day roster came out today, and, and one thing that, that really stood out is the fact that Corey Lee's name wasn't on it. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm for one a bit shocked as well. Um, I understand the the explanation by Dana Brown that's saying you know, Corey Lee's the prospect he needs everyday starts and all the at bats. Um, on the other hand, we were down in spring training for a month uh, down there doing content and look, uh, we saw Salazar. He he did hit some balls hard. He was always on the on that back end of those spring training games, and uh, it definitely caught me by surprise. But uh, uh, good for the kid, though. He's going to get a big league paycheck, and that's, that's life-changing. You know, how how important is it to see a guy like Janier Diaz to, to make the roster for a guy that can play catcher, first base, designated hitter? Um, so, some people even have him helping out in the outfield. I mean, how, how crucial is that to have that versatility if you're Dusty Baker? I think it's huge. I mean, Johnny Diaz could just flat out hit. I mean, what is still in that in that in that trade for Phil Maton and, and Diaz for Miles Straw? Uh, looking back, that maybe the last gift that Click gave us. But um, look, anytime in baseball when you're hitting the way he's hitting, they'll find a spot for you on the field. And I think that's kind of what they're doing right now by they can take ground balls at first. Obviously, DH is obviously catches a little bit, and then the whole left field uh, wrinkle, especially with Bramley on the shelf a little bit. So. Um, that's that's one thing this guy can do. He can just flat out hit the ball, and it could be you know with a lot of at bats over the next month, it could be a, a blessing in disguise for his development. You know when Michael Brantley comes back, and when Jose Altuve comes back, the, this Astros group is going to kind of run into a little bit of an issue of having a little too much talent and only nine spots. Oh, 100 percent. I think we saw it last year on the other side on the pitching. You had Seth Martinez get called down and. Uh, numerous times and and not be on the on the playoff rosters and stuff like that where he would be a an everyday high leverage guy for a lot of a lot of teams across the league and it was just kind of squeezed out and obviously this year he made it but uh, I think on this flip side the offense this year is going to have a lot of people on the bench that'd be everyday starters I mean I think Corey Lee could start you know a lot for a lot of teams right now uh, at catchers so um, there, there's a lot of things that national writers and people that are, you know, 30,000 feet away talk about the Astros prospect and the farm system. And, and yet the Astros continue to turn out big leaguers. And I think it's a product of their system, product of their culture, part of uh, just all these guys grinding. And yeah, they may not be sexy names, but when they come up to the show, uh, you have the Chas McCormick catches, you have those guys that come out with big hits. And um, it's really fun to see and be a part of. 
Have you gotten your hands on a gold edition jersey yet? I have not. We got we got in on Sunday night from uh, West Palm Beach. Uh, I was a little under the weather uh, yesterday and today, but tomorrow I'm going to head down and I'm going to I'm going to grab me one of those those little those little sexy gold jerseys. So you know, you talked about your trip to West Palm Beach. What what did you guys see from being able to experience spring training firsthand? Who were some prospects that, that really stood out that uh, Astros fans might want to get familiar with? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that stood out was the new rules. Um, the speed of the game is going to be around 215 to 230. Um, if you're going to a game uh, and you like to uh, partake in drinking adult beverages, uh, I would recommend doing that pregame because if you're in line waiting for that or food or whatever it is, you're going to miss some innings because the games go a little bit uh, quick these days with the pitch clock. And then the other side, um, look, Corey Jokes made the opening day roster today. Uh, he's a guy that was from Friendswood, Texas, went to the University of Houston, has been grinding, I believe, five, six years in the, in the minors, and, and he gets the call up. Uh, he's changed his swing. The, the basketball skills are there. He has some pull pop, which you know is going to help him with the Crawford boxes. Um, that's the name that really stood out. And obviously, the new addition of Jose Abreu. I mean, I, I think just last week I just laughed. I was like, oh, I forgot he's on the team again. It was the third time this offseason. The guy just, just finds RBI stakes. I mean, with this with this roster and the people in front of him, I, I could see him have over 100 uh, this year. Chatting with Apollo Dez of Apollo HOU. Uh, Framber Valdez is going to get the opening day start for the Astros. You you saw the type of year that he had last year, uh, getting Cy Young votes behind Justin Verlander. Now that he's kind of going to be the guy for Houston, do you think we see Framber to a whole another level? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, Framber's kind of grown up in front of our eyes. He was a guy that you know had a lot of walks, not a lot of strikeouts. He, he show flashes of brilliance and then get touched up. And I mean, just. Just two years ago in that 21 World Series, the Braves were all over him. And then last year, he made that that leap and became a, a perennial all-star and, and Cy Young candidate. And I think he's going to build off that. And um, confidence is a lot for for these guys in the show. And I think Framber Valdez is, is one that thrives off that confidence. And uh, his stuff plays so well. I mean, as a lefty, throwing that heavy sinker is just, one, dirty to begin with, but two, uh, he's got a solid defense behind him to, to get those ground balls. We saw Jeremy Pena become a gold glove, and that was the that was kind of the argument with uh, the Correa Pena saga last year. It was like, hey, can this kid be able to handle all these ground balls that are coming his way? And he followed up with a gold glove, you know, on top of the World Series MVP and ALCS MVP. So um, I think Framber makes that jump, and then I think Javier kind of slides into that Framber role that Framber was to JV. I think Javier's going to get a lot of. Cy Young's votes at the end of the year, and he's going to be, you know, de facto number two, but could be an ace for any other team. Now, what, talking about MVP, is one guy that that really has been in that MVP conversation and just really hasn't been able to crack all the way through is Kyle Tucker. Uh, do, yeah. do, do you think he breaks out of that shell and really gets looked at as a true MVP candidate this year? Yeah, I think with the new rules, uh, he's going to be a 30-30 guy. He flirted with it last year. I think he gets there this year. Um, everything Kyle Tucker does just looks like it's, it's like laissez-faire and lackadaisical just because he does everything so smooth. And, and I tell you what, he's one of the hardest workers I've seen, been around. Uh, we got to spend some time with him this offseason. Uh, the kid the kid has it, and I think he makes that step uh, to the MVP-type level. Obviously, 
Jordan being here. And I, my MVP pick for this year is, is Alex Bregman. I think, you know, you guys know him quite well. And so do we. Uh, he's in the middle of his prime. And, man, I, I really think he gets back to that 2019 Alex Bregman we saw in the second half and, and throughout the playoffs. But um, Kyle Tucker could just be Kyle Tucker. And, and I think he's going to quietly get votes. And he, he's going to be the third best hitter on the team. And he could be a, a, the number one bat for any other team in the league. Will you would you be surprised if I told you that the predictions according to MLB.com have the Padres beating the Astros in the World Series? Man, I saw that. Um look, if you're in a World Series, that's all you can ask for uh, at the end of the year and then you just you just hope faith on your side. Um the Padres are they got some they got some dudes. I mean, Bogarts, Machado, Tatis, Soto, Cronenworth, Kim, Grisham. I, I don't think their pitching uh, after uh, Musgrove, Darvish, and Snell uh, can hold up against Houston. Uh, but if they're just you know banging twenty runs a game, then you know that's a mute point. But that'd uh, be a fun that'd be a fun playoff uh, World Series. Uh, I would actually. I've never been to the San Diego Park, so I may have to check down for that one if, if it does line up that way. Apollo Des of Apollo HOU joining us here for To the Moon. Des, anything else that, that you're looking out for th- this weekend with opening day before we let you run? Yeah, I think uh, I think the Astros need to get on a, uh, a solid footing and a hot start. I think this year with the rules, uh, being, the schedule being altered where everyone plays everyone, your margins kind of dry up a little bit. Um, you're not going to be able to beat up on, on the Oaklands of the world um, in your division a lot more. Yeah, it's kind of an even playing field. So uh, starting off hot uh, when the Astros are historically, you know, kind of take it, you know, 500 ball the first couple of weeks before they get it going, I, I think it's imperative for them to start hot. And then um, the other side, I think uh, seeing what the bullpen does, like the, that bullpen in October was arguably the greatest bullpen of all time performance in the history of baseball. And uh, uh, there's things that go your way as a reliever, uh, bounces, you know, nagging injuries. Uh, I think, I think seeing the success of, of the bullpen um, is, is big. And, and to see him walk down some games early, I think would be huge. And then um, Jose Abreu. Jose Abreu, uh, my final thought, just in this lineup, uh, he extends this lineup so well. I think the Altuve injury, obviously, you know, it, it stinks. And we're looking at, you know, June all-star break until he's back. But uh, if you didn't sign to Bray, you'd it'd kind of be a little worrisome right now. But now that he's in this lineup, he just plugs right in, and he's going to clean up some RBI stakes for sure. Des, appreciate you. Enjoy opening day, and uh, we'll do it again next week. Absolutely, bro. Talk to you later. And there he goes, Apollo Des of Apollo HOU, joining us each and every Tuesday afternoon for To the Moon, talking all things about the defending World Series champions. Again, they will play on Thursday night. 608 how how specific uh, of the MLB 608 first pitch in that one on Thursday night and you can catch that game over on our sister station News Talk 985 pregame beginning at 5:30 first pitch set once again for 608 we'll take a timeout wrap up today's show and get you set for your night right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. 
Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The Karen Crow Cultural District invites you to a free family event that celebrates the spring season and Easter with the downtown Karen Crow Spring Festival this Saturday from 11 to 3 at the Patriots Pavilion behind City Hall in downtown Karen Crow. There will be an Easter egg hunt, games and activities, a cookie decorating craft table, local food, and much more. So come out this Saturday for the downtown Karen Crow Spring Festival from 11 to 3 in downtown Karen Crow. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time 552 here on your Tuesday, Matt Miguez, James Mesh. As we wrap up today's show, we've we've talked for a while now about the drama with the Washington Commanders and their owner, Dan Snyder, who has basically been almost almost forced to sell the team. It was announced today by a that there are two bids on the table for a $6 billion asking price to buy the team. One of them comes from a group by the name of Josh Harris and Mitchell Rails Group, which now includes Magic Johnson. The other is by a Canadian billionaire by the name of Steve Apostolopoulos. I guess. I, I butchered that. But here's the difference. Here's the difference. The first offer, the offer that includes Magic Johnson, is a fully financed bid. The bid from the Canadian billionaire, James, is cold, hard cash. Now, people are up in arms about this because you're selling an American franchise outside of the United States. Why? Why does it matter? Because you act like, okay, yeah, sure, the, the guy lives in Canada. But here's the thing. If he buys a team in Washington, D.C., don't you think that he's going to move to Washington, D.C.? Or maybe he won't be, and maybe he'll trust the general managers that he hires to run the team to do their jobs, and he won't have to be the next Jerry Jones and be up everybody's ass. Maybe. Just spitballing here. And let's let's say, hypothetically, they do move the franchise to Canada. The NBA's got franchises in Canada. The NHL's got franchises in Canada. The MLB has franchises in Canada. And guess what? It's worked. Bingo. It's worked. So what would be so wrong with an NFL team in Canada? I'm not saying I'm necessarily for it. But if it comes down to it, it's not like I'm up in arms like, oh, how dare... 
this team go to a completely different country. Does it directly affect me? No. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Now, where I depending think on where depending on where they go, maybe it makes the NFC seat. NFC East look weird location wise. Wait, now, where I think it's dumb is when you're talking about, oh, let's put an NFL team in Germany. That that's dumb. Who can afford to fly either a from Germany to the states or from the states to Germany? You know, sixteen times a season. Nobody even, can do that. Even trying to go throw a team in London can't do it. You can't do it. There, there's just financially that's just impossible um but no look if if they if they want to put a t- if they want to move the team which i don't know that that would even be in the plans but if that's the case if he wants to put the team in toronto they could still be in the nfc east that's right there it's not that far it's just a hop skip and a jump across the border and you could still the only team that it would really bother is Dallas. But here's the thing, Dallas is already traveling a thousand miles to play their division rivals anyway. So it, it's really not much different. But uh, again, r- regardless of who they decide to sell it to, it's time for Daniel Snyder to not be the owner of the Washington Commanders anymore. There's documented proof that the way he has run this team has been inappropriate and just flat out wrong. And it's just time for him to not have control of that franchise anymore. But, you know, off my soapbox. Want to take this opportunity to thank Joe Doyle for joining us talking the MLB draft as well as Apollo Des for To the Moon. Come back tomorrow, hump day edition of crunch time gonna have a great show set up for you for james mesh i'm matt miguez be safe be well hug your mom and them we're back tomorrow four to six right here on the game southwest louisiana sports station your home for the lsu tigers and world series champion houston astros let's throw it over to alex box stadium in baton rouge lsu and grambling here's the voice of the tigers chris blair